CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back for part number four now of our off-season outlook series. Last week, we had a great discussion about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, including the recent addition of Zach Caleros and what that all meant for the team going forward. And today we move to the other side of that trade and we uh, move back to the East Division to talk about the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Obviously, they've been in the news a lot lately with the Coleros trade, with all the news with Johnny Manziel, which more of that uh, came out this week, which we will talk about all of that and go through all of the news in the CFL from the past week. And to do so, let's bring him in, the man who scored nearly as many points this weekend as the Buffalo Bills did in their first playoff game in 18 years. Michael Garrell, good evening, Mike. Good afternoon, actually. Well, quite the intro there, Ryan. <laughs> I probably scored more, more, uh, more in one play than the Buffalo Bills on my... Madden 25 for PS3 than the Bills did in an, in an entire playoff game. Not not the most exciting of NFL playoff games, that's for sure. Um, Jacksonville goes on to win that one, but we're not here to talk NFL. We're here to talk CFL. Um, one kind of crisscross note, though, Mike. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, University of Manitoba Bison, former Bison, David Onyemata, Draft pick of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with a big sack on Carolina's Cam Newton yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, David Abiumata from the University of Manitoba Bison absolutely flattens Cam Newton in what might have been the hit of the weekend. Yeah. Good to see. Good to see him making an impact. Uh, former Bison, always rooting for those guys, no matter where they play even though a lot of them seem to uh, end up being property of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yep. Getting into talking about the news from the past week in the CFL, um, let's start off with the hometown team here in Winnipeg. The Bombers uh, announced their coaching staff for the rest of the, or for the rest of their coaching staff for 2018. They make a couple changes, but Mike, the one that everyone wanted to see is the one we did not get. Richie Hallback is defensive coordinator in 2018. Yeah, I don't think it's a real big surprise. Um, you know, because we heard Michael Shea talk about, and you heard this just as well as I did, I would assume. Um, you know, a defense that plays on a, on a fine line, so to say, right? They force so many turnovers. But, yeah, they give up so many yards. So, you know, and that was the comment Michael Shea had in paraphrasing at the end of the year. I don't think it's all that big of a surprise that Richie Hall is bad. But somebody has to take responsibility for, you know, the bomber defense. And it was to Richie Hall's assistance. And 
Obviously, they bring in Jordan Yonder, a guy that played with Michael Shea for a time and was in Toronto when Michael Shea was the coach. I don't know, Ryan, how much this is going to help um, in in the grand scheme of things because I, I just see a lot of Winnipeg that is fed up with this defense that, yes, forces a lot of turnovers, but gives up an unreal amount of big plays at the most inconvenient of times. Well, yeah, and it's one of those things that really kind of I mean, normally when you talk about a defense that forces a lot of turnovers, this is a defense that's clearly getting ahead. You know, that's a big play that can kind of steer you ahead in the right direction. But if for every turnover you go and give up, you know, a 30-yard play or something like that, or you give up these big holes, does it really gain you anything? No, it doesn't. It's it's one of those things, and we saw this in the record of the Blue Bombers, in games where they forced a lot of turnovers, they won, naturally speaking. In games where they forced one or had zero turnovers, they had difficulty winning. See exhibit A with the Western semifinal. Yeah, because when they force a turnover, it you know it makes up. It kind of evens it out with some of those big plays you give up. You can. You, you can kind of approach a defense in a couple different ways. You know, you can have that ball-hawking, turnover-forcing defense that goes and makes those big plays, but the Bombers could easily accomplish the same result by just having a strong defense that gets its job done, you know, doesn't give up these big plays. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting because, like I said, I mean, it's a fine line, right? You want to be aggressive, but you don't want to ultimately rely on the turnovers. And I'm curious to see what happens if it's status quo. You know, we see the same kind of thing. And no, I'm happy to see, however, that Michael Shade going to be taking more of a lead on defense, that more of overseeing it along with Richie Hall. Um, and he's going to be giving his input. I have to wonder that if, you know, this is next year and a few years down the line, further down the line in Michael Shea's coaching tender if um, if Michael Shea isn't the defensive coordinator at this time. You, th- you think down the road that that's the plan here is for him to take over defensive coordinator roles as well? or I, I can't see a reason why, you know, obviously – you know, it's been reported and it's been speculated out there that, you know, Michael Shea considered doing both. Right. And and it wouldn't surprise me if things start very badly in 2018 if that's what happens. Well, and we know he is going to be taking on a larger role with the defense. Uh, it remains to be seen exactly what that role is going to be. Uh, Richie Hall still gets to say in, you know, calling the plays, the personnel uh, packages going out there on defense. So I'm interested to see kind of how Mike O'Shea integrates himself more into that and just how much, uh, you know, is he going to be involved in that defense or is this basically the same defense uh, kind of running scheme that we're going to see that we saw in 2017 for the Bombers. And, and let's be fair, there's no coach that's on a hotter seat right now in all of the CFL than Richie Hall. 
if, if things start badly, let out. Yeah, yeah, I might agree with that. I think I do. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that would be on a hotter seat right now, but I would probably agree with that. Um, so Richie Hall's back for 2018. You mentioned Jordan Younger being uh, hired as defensive back coach for the Bombers. Uh, Glenn Young was the linebackers coach the last couple of years. He now also takes over the defensive line as well, so he's doing double duty. Uh, meanwhile, uh, defensive line coach Todd Howard and defensive back coach Tony Misick were let go by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. How much of this bringing in Jordan Younger, a guy that Mike O'Shea is very familiar with from his time in Toronto, uh, he's brought in as the defensive backs coach this year. Do you see this as any gateway to him eventually taking over a defensive coordinator job and maybe just giving him a year here to, to get used to it without that? That's another very interesting dynamic I heard. Uh, if I'm Richie Hall... I'm not sitting comfortable right now. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I've spoken for that for many, many weeks. But I believe that if something goes very, very wrong and we see much of status quo, that I don't think they'll hesitate to have Jordan Yandere, a guy that was very, very successful on the football field in the CFL be a defensive coordinator. And that's a very interesting dynamic uh, that you bring up. And I think it's a very valid question. And the question becomes, how much rope does Richie Hall have left? Yeah, yeah, that's really the question at this point. We all want to know. We all wish it was, you know, is it May yet, not June now, because the CFL preseason starts in May. Will we see, once the season kicks off, if this defense does change at all from what we saw last year, given that we're bringing back, you know, the same coordinators and employing the same schemes. Perhaps there's some tinkering going on. I, there, there has to be some sort of tinkering going on. You would imagine Mike O'Shea, you know, sitting down with Richie Hall and saying, okay, this clearly didn't work what we were doing. What are we going to do now to go and change that up? And I wouldn't be surprised if Michael O'Shea kind of had his mind made up going into meetings with, you know, Richie Hall with what he was going to do. And then he basically maybe sat down with Richie Hall and he said, okay, Richie, you know, I want to give you a chance to fix this. You know, how do you go, how do you suggest we go about fixing this? And they were kind of bouncing ideas, you know, off of each other. But, you know, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic also too now with, some defensive signings that are trickling in for the Blue Bombers. Right. Not None of the really big variety of, you know, the Chris Randall, the Mole, I did, you know, those type of back-end players. So I'm wondering if we're going to see some personnel changes on, on the back-end just a little bit or, if, you know, those deals are a little slower coming to the surface. Yeah, just earlier today, uh, just shortly ago, Ian Wild re-signed to a one-year contract extension by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You know, it's interesting you mentioned none of those kind of big-name guys, and those all the guys you listed for sure are in that category. Um, go back to a couple of years ago, Ian Wild might have been the top of that category. This was a guy that has been, you know, was such a big member for the Bombers, and then he went to the NFL and ended up coming back. 
Um, but injury history as of late has been a concern with him. Uh, they bring him back for 2018. I like that move because I think Wild is still a really effective player when he's out on the field. It just remains to be seen. Can he actually stay healthy? I, I wonder, and Wild is a linebacker, right? Yes. And, and I think, you know, I'm not sure if I brought this up with, you know, the Blue Bombers and, you know, their kind of needs for the Blue Bombers. They need some kind of answer at middle linebacker. And and I'd like to see if maybe they put Ian Wild and into that kind of position. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that was the position he originally played when he started becoming such a prominent member of the Bombers, was it not? This was after Hinoch Muamba had left for the NFL. I believe that's where Wild came in. I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then they end up moving him around in that uh, different spots on the field there in the linebacker position. Yeah, and it's it's... It's very interesting, you know, to see the, the, the signings around the lead that are, you know, going to happen in the next couple of weeks leading up um, to free agency, just exactly who the Bombers retain and exactly who other teams retain and who they don't retain, per se, and then to see if they can maybe rebuild this defense a little bit with some guys you know, some young guys that they're either signing or just signing, you know, off of free agents from other teams. So I'm very curious to see in the next couple of weeks how the Bombers go and address this. Yes, me uh, me as well. Um, moving on from the Bombers, uh, let's go over to the Toronto Argonauts, Mike. They officially signed quarterback James Franklin through 2019. Uh, there's a typo here in the notes I made, but uh, it's 2019. James Franklin signed by the Argos. I talked about this last week that it was a no-brainer from both sides. It made perfect sense. Uh, it's official now. James Franklin in Toronto. Yeah, and I, I think it's a smart move. And the, the interesting thing for me is, uh, I don't know if you read this shortly thereafter, but they left some money. Oh, the deal was situated in such a way that the, sorry, but <clears throat> but would allow uh, Ricky Ray to also return. So I found that to be a little bit of an interesting, uh, interesting uh, side note. And we don't have any indication yet whether Ray will return. No decision from him yet. I would like to see him come back. Um, just because we saw how effective that uh, that Burris and Trevor Harris combo was for the Ottawa Red Blacks. I think for, like from an Argos standpoint, if you can have Ricky Ray and then have James Franklin underneath him for this year uh, and then hand over the reins to Franklin next year, that's a dream scenario for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, and, and I wonder, Ryan, if that is the scenario and Ricky Ray maybe has the answer, but it's not public. And maybe, and, and maybe we read into the James Franklin contract, but Ricky Ray is in fact coming back. Right. And it just hasn't been announced yet. But then again, you know, minds can change. And, and if I'm Toronto, I'd want to know before free agency. Yeah. Well, of course. You want to know what your piece is, what you're playing with before you go to the table, right? So. And, and, and especially how much spending money you have to go out and get some guys. For sure. Um, the Montreal Alouettes, uh, just about an hour before we started here, signed uh, running back Terrell Sutton to a one-year contract extension. 
You mentioned last week with bringing in uh, Mike Sherman as head coach. I think you talked about he likes to run that run-and-gun offense. Um, It's the run-and-shoot offense. Run-and-shoot offense, sorry. Possibly no better guy for them to bring back out of the list of all their free agents than Terrell Sutton because when he you know when he's on his game he's one of the top running backs in the CFL and he's definitely a guy that I think Sherman can build that offense around yeah and you know running backs are a dime a dozen and you know Montreal has a guy which proven in this running back but they they just resigned the thing that blows me away here Ryan and I've said this for a couple of weeks now uh, in this series, the number of one-year contracts and how that's going to set up free agency for, you know, this time next year, given the CBA uncertainty. That could be one crazy offseason. Well, I think we've gotten to a point now in the progression of things where more and more so each year seems to be a crazier CFL free agency. Go back to a couple of years ago, you know, you look at NHL free agency, July 1st it starts, it's a big hoopla, TSN does their all-day-long specials, but CFL has really never been, up until a couple of years ago, you know, okay, there were a couple of signings here, a couple of signings there, but now look in the last couple of years, we've seen a record number of CFL signings on free agency day, which starts on February 13th at noon Eastern, I believe, yep. this year. Um, so I think that's just becoming the new norm in the CFL. You see these guys getting their one-year contracts or two-year contracts, and uh, it all kind of, you know, we have these long free agent lists, and it ends up leading to a lot of turnover because in a league that's constantly shifting so often, it gives you that flexibility as a player to, is there a better opening for me elsewhere? And as a team, can I go, you know, okay, I'll evaluate, we'll see how this goes and doesn't tie you down long-term to making adjustments if you need to. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the smart way to go, especially in football. And, you know, there's a smaller, there's your core group of players that you're okay with giving a two- to three-year contract with. But by and large, the biggest majority of players, Ryan, in the CFL and, 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 and in football in general, are a dime a dozen. They are, um, they are easily replaceable in some cases. Um, teams are more, um, shall we say, hesitant to give longer-term contracts with the number of injuries and season-ending injuries that occur seemingly freakish at a sky-high rate. Right. So, there, and the players also say, you know, that's the team side of it. The players say, you know what, I have one really, really good year. It motivates me to play well in my contract year to get a substantial raise in the next contract. Oh, for sure. I agree with you completely on that. <laughs> And they don't sell themselves short. But I do believe that the two- to three-year contracts should be valued by teams that currently have two- to three-year deals as a sign of loyalty by both the players and the fans. Or sorry, the players and the teams. But that will be less and less as there's more and more changeover. 
For sure. And, you know, uh, that's a perfect segue moving on to talking about another team here with our news this week. It's the team we're going to be focusing on in the second half of our show here today. The Hamilton Tiger Cats. We've been talking Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel for weeks upon weeks. You know, will the Ticats offer him a contract? Will he come to the CFL? Their window for offering him a contract officially ended yesterday, I believe, was the last day they could. And yep, they go out and go and offer him a contract. But it's not just for 2018, Mike. As per Dave, Dave Naylor went and, uh, you know, put this out there, a two-year contract offer to Johnny Manziel, uh, which is longer than the minimum they needed to. This is a sign almost to me that, you know, they're not bringing him in as, okay, an experiment, so let's see how this goes. This is a sign to me that this is a guy they actually believe in. Um, I actually, it's it's a very interesting thing. The CFL has a dynamic where all rookie contracts are a minimum of, minimum of two years, with the fact that uh, there are rookie minimums, uh, with with as far as dollars and cents. And I'm with you. I agree that you know not offering them the minimum tells me that they view Johnny Manziel as a liable uh, as a as a viable, sorry, option for, you know, a quarterback that they can have long-term. Well, and if I'm correct, just to clear up kind of what you said there, the uh, he wouldn't be considered a CFL rookie in 2018 if he were to play due to his time in the NFL, as far as I'm aware. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, that, that, that makes a whole lot more sense. Um, but, no, I, I believe that in the next you – know, I'm going to give it – three weeks, and if we do not have, you know, a Johnny Manziel under contract, um, I, I would be shot. I, I I just don't, and, and I can't really speak for him on behalf of him personally, because I don't know the guy in that, real life, but, you know, you're given this chance to return to the sport that you've you've been pretty good at throughout your entire life. Uh, mm-hmm. You love to play. Why wouldn't you take that? Sure, that means coming to Canada, which you know sometimes you don't want to. Players don't seem to want to go that route. Mm-hmm. But like, why not take this offer and get your chance to show what you can do out on the football field and maybe eventually work your way back to the NFL. And, and you know what? I mean, we've heard from we've heard from players that. Uh... You know, in the past, have said, you know, I want to use the CFL as a springboard, you know, to get back to the NFL. But they don't actually end up going to the NFL. They carve themselves out fantastic careers, Hall of Fame careers, by staying multiple years in the Canadian Football League. Examples such as Milt Steedle. Right. You know, he had aspirations of going back to the NFL after a few years in the CFL. And... You know, it's interesting, but he carved out a very Hall of Fame career. And there's others that go on the list as well. So it's not like the CFL is a down lead where, you know, all the people that aren't so good at football go to the the CFL and don't have any shot at getting to the NFL. The CFL is a unique lead in the fact that it requires a unique... um, set of skills to play in the lead. The players that have these skills, 
might not necessarily have the skills to stick in the in uh, NFL, but they can make themselves a fairly decent uh, career in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, the CFL in no ways is you know the NFL farm farm league, like the AHL of the NFL kind of thing. No, yeah. it's its own unique league. Could you maybe, if you know you were trying to do a hockey comparison, compare the CFL to the KHL a little bit, where mm-hmm. it's its own standalone league? You know, sometimes players, if they can't make it in the NHL, okay, they'll go to the CFL or to the KHL, uh, but it has, you know, its own dominant players in its own right that spend their entire career there. I think you can draw a lot of comparisons to that. And I know there's some very exciting hockey that goes on in the KHL, and I think that's what you yep. see with the CFL as well. Yeah, and, and I, I think, to be honest with you, the closer comparison isn't the isn't the KHL. I think that I, I think that European hockey in general, uh, you know, Swiss lead, Swedish lead, you know, you know, leads like that, that are right up there in skill set, but have a bit of a different dynamic to suit certain players' skill sets. Right. Uh, the Ticats uh, locking up some more key pieces this week. Uh, quarterback Jeremiah Mazzoli extended through 2019, as well as wide receiver Brandon Banks re-signed by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So these were kind of the two big pieces uh, that really got things going for the Ticats in the second half of the season this past year. Um, they're both brought back, uh, no-brainers in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we knew that one of Calaro's, uh, Mazzoli would be back, and this just kind of confirmed exactly what we've been thinking. Right. It's, uh, you know, you've got June Jones, Jeremiah Mazzoli, and Brandon Banks. You could argue those were kind of the three guys that really led that turnaround last year. Obviously, many others contributed to it, but those were kind of the three big pieces. And the synonymous opening play of the game to Brandon Banks from Jeremiah Mazzoli. Mike, how reasonable is it to expect first play of 2018 on offense, Mazzoli comes out there, throws a long bomb to Brandon Banks for a touchdown? (laughs) I mean, mean, if I'm the opposing team's defense, I'm putting 12 guys on Brandon Banks because you know the ball's going there. Well, it's an interesting dynamic, right? You put 12, 12, 12 guys on banks, you leave everybody else open. So, And yet they'll still try to throw the ball that way. Well, I'll tell you what. I know free agency hasn't happened, but I'm fully expecting a playoff game of some kind at Tim Hortons Field this year. Me too. I, I, I'm expecting a strong bounce-back season from them, and I think these two guys that we just talked about are going to be – crucial pieces of that for the Ticats. I think they're great. It's great to see these guys back there. It's great to see Mazzoli really get his chance um, with the Ticats. You know, I I think if you go back to maybe about two years ago, Coleros is, you know, at the height of his, I wouldn't say the height of his career, but of what we've seen from him so far, you know, Coleros is tops in the league as a quarterback. We have Mazzoli behind him for a couple of years. I don't think at that point we really expected him to go on to become a starter in the CFL. And now he clearly, he got the chance there last year with the Ticats, and now he gets a chance again this year. And I'm happy to see that for him. And I hope he takes it by the horns, uh, and I hope he runs with it. You know, and I and I, I think there was a lot of um, question marks uh, with 
you know, when June Jones came in, but he gave as much of the reins as he did to um, to Jeremiah Mazzoli. And I think people were skeptical about how uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli would fare, and he did very, very well. But now the question becomes, okay, Jeremiah Mazzoli is the guy in Hamilton. Now the CFL prepares for Jeremiah Mazzoli. And it's almost like what happened with Jonathan Jennings, right? Jonathan Jennings comes out, looks like a great football player, and is a great football player, has a great first year, and then last year takes a step back. So I hope that doesn't happen with Jeremiah Mazzoli. But it's something that Jeremiah Mazzoli didn't have to work through, being that guy. Yeah, and, and the one that's really inter- I'm interested to see is what are we going to see at the start of twenty the 2018 season is with Banks because if you, like the turnaround he had in the middle of the season last year, early on in the season, you know we see Banks drop a long touchdown pass, we see him not really get anything going. Uh, we're questioning when the Ticats are at that 0-8 point in the season, you know, when the axe is going to start coming down on guys during that bye week. We started questioning, is Brandon Banks perhaps on his way out uh, with the Ticats? Because he hadn't really, you know, stepped up the way they expected him to in that first half of the season. And then stuff switches around. Like you mentioned, June Jones takes over that uh, and takes over. The offense is reinvented. Mazzoli and Banks form that chemistry, and he goes on to be arguably the top. Well, I guess you could put James Wilder in there, but definitely one of the top five, you know, offensive players in the CFL in that second half of the season next year. I'm interested to see if he can keep that going at the start of this year or where we'll see him lie between those kind of tale of two seasons that we saw from him. Yeah, and I, and I believe that the turning point in Hamilton's season was Ken Austin recognizing that a change needed to be made for the betterment of the team. Right. Because I, because I think if they, if they let him go till November and it continued the way you know, it was continuing, but I think we're having a completely different discussion. Uh, other news, uh, the Ticats also re-signed national defense back Jay Langa to, to, to a two-year contract. He started all 18 games for them in 2017, mm-hmm. I believe. And uh, not a signing or anything, but more so a congratulations here. The Hamilton Tiger Cats just announcing uh, wide receiver Luke Tasker and his wife have given birth to a baby boy. Uh, Steel James is the name of the child, so congratulations to Luke Tasker and his wife, Jenna. It's interesting. I was just looking at the same thing. Yeah, someone else appears to be bad. GSN uh, Matthew Shinetti hearing from CFL sources that D. Lyman Cleon Lane will sign a new two-year contract to remain with the Ardles. All right. That's just, that just coming across the wire. Right. So an extension for Cleon Lang with the Argos to add to the recent news of James Franklin. Yes. His contract extension in Toronto. So, uh, But nonetheless, congratulations to Luke Tasker and his wife on the birth of the new baby boy. 
Um, looking around the rest of the CFL here, uh, the BC Lions uh, continued to add to their coaching staff and now added Marcus Howell as passing game coordinator and receivers coach. I mean, just go back to what we said last week. Really impressive coaching staff. The Lions are forming for 2018, and this is another excellent piece for them. It's just one question I have, right? Too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, I guess that's you know, just one question. You know, you can have all the talent in the world on the coaching staff, but if it doesn't work together, and I trust that they've, you know, made it work. <clears throat> Sorry, that they've made it work, and they found a way to discuss with how to make it work. Then I think, you know, you're onto something. Uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks uh, make a couple moves. They hire uh, John McDonald as their offensive line coach, release defensive back Nicholas Taylor, and they also signed five new players earlier today. Offensive lineman Kendall Pace, linebacker Lamar Lewis, wide receiver Richard Mullaney, uh, linebacker Avery Williams, defensive lineman Cliff Matthews. And also, I don't know if you uh, read last week, Mike, but they also signed about 15 guys or something like that in one day mm-hmm. last week. Um, so the, or the week before. So, uh, the red blacks have been very busy tinkering with kind of smaller pieces of their roster this off season. And, and, you know, it starts with, uh, it starts with that defense. Uh, they got the coaching staff in place a couple of weeks ago and now they're putting a uh, roster in place. Right. Um, and finally to round out the news, uh, from the past week, uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, we'll be uh, without a couple pieces for 2018. First of all, wide receiver Chris Getzlav announces his retirement. Uh, a great career for Chris Getzlav. Congratulations on retirement and all the best to him. Yeah, and I and I really believe that uh, Getzlav uh, was one of those that left on his own terms. He had a great career in the white and green. He went to another uh, team. He went to the Eskimos. In between, and then ended up coming back for the back end of last year uh, to rejoin the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So it's just uh, a very great career. And as somebody that uh, has watched Chris Getzlap, Man, those rider teams, they were good, and Chris Gaslop was an integral part of that. And also, too, the CFL loses another uh, good guy to retirement. Absolutely. you know, all who, good- who, oddly enough, as an outsider, always seemed to have his biggest games against the Calgary Stampeders. Interesting. I never picked up on that. It was, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but Every single Chris Getzlaff highlight or big game, so to say, seemingly went against uh, Calgary. Huh. Because they had so many playoff battles. The year the Riders won the Great Cup on home field. How many How many times in the early 2000s, like uh, 2008 to 2014, when the Riders had those good teams there? There were a lot of Calgary Saskatchewan playoff battles. Right. And and the player that always rose up to the occasion in those type of games was Chris Deslav. Hmm. Interesting. 
the Riders also might go and uh, release defensive back uh, Eli Buka. I per- apologize if I mispronounced the name. Uh, for an NFL opportunity, and he promptly goes and signs with the Eagles. So once again, another CFL player getting a shot in the NFL. Great to good, see. And uh, good, to, good to see. It puts the CFL on a map, not only for uh, coaches, but for players too. And Mike, finally, our last piece of news uh, from the past week in the CFL. Kevin Glenn has uh, packed up his one-man world tour um and is leaving Saskatchewan and uh who knows where the next stop on his tour will go as the uh Saskatchewan Rough Riders have released quarterback Kevin Glenn and he is now a CFL free agent uh honestly not all that surprising uh when you look at you know obviously they brought in Kalaros and it was summoned to be you know the odd man out rumor has it on the street that Kevin Glenn continues his lap and completed lap around the CFL by going to Edmonton, but I would also expect the Blue Bombers to make a play for him. I, I I really hope that Kevin Glenn goes to Edmonton because I mean eight CFL teams, it's just the perfect you know cap it off. You yep. Know, you, you know he wants to. Um, I, I I hope we see Kevin Glenn in Edmonton complete the tour and be a member at some point of all I, Canadian I CFL teams. On a two- or three-year contract, and then he's eligible to be picked up in the expansion draft by the Atlanta <laughs> Schooners. I mean, so let's say here Kevin Glenn goes to Edmonton for 2018. He plays in Edmonton. He's now made it to all nine teams. If he's still in the league come the time when the you know the Atlantic team joins the league and gets their expansion draft, Kevin Glenn better be the first overall pick just for nostalgia's sake. Of being able to say, hey, look, we had it a 10th team. I'm going there, you know? I am a little bit surprised, honestly, that Kevin Glenn has gotten this kind of treatment given his stature in the CFL. His longest ten, tenure, with the, tenure with the team in the CFL was with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Since then, he's always bounced around. Yeah, and, and he's, you know, gained the reputation as the CFL's best insurance policy, so to so so to say. This is a guy that has moved around so many times and seems to, you know, he's a guy that's good enough to be a starter, but has always seemed to, you know, find his way into a backup role. And, and you know what? Good on Kevin Delano. It's very hard and very easy for Kevin Delano to say enough of this you-know-what of me being basically everybody's second option, basically moving my life around Canada, but he doesn't really have a set home, you know what I mean? Right. It would have been very easy for Kevin Glenn to say, you know what, that's it, I packed up shop, I'm done with this moving around, I retire. But the guy loves playing football, and he's grateful for every opportunity. And I hope, but Kevin Glenn, and I, I sincerely hope that Kevin Glenn somehow, some way, wins at Ray Cup before he goes out. Absolutely. I'm a huge Glenn fan myself. I think a lot of people are. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. It's great to see everything he's accomplished. You know, he, he made it into the record books, I believe, this year, or moved up into sixth all-time on the passing list, was it? 
believe so, yeah. Something of that regard. Uh, it's great to see, you know, the things he accomplished. The start to the year he had was pretty impressive this year. I would love to see him back in the CFL next year. Uh, I, I'd love to see him with the Blue Bombers. And I, I'm really surprised that when the Bombers had him as part of the Drew Willie trade, that they did not retain him. Hmm. To, I just like, and I don't want to knock against, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their management team that they've done a fantastic job. But you can't tell me that Dom Davis is an upgrade over Kevin Glenn, can you? Well, perhaps, you know, they look at the aged in there. Davis, still a young but, guy. Perhaps they're looking at him, you know, if to groom another guy for the future to be a success for successor in the long run to Matt Nichols. Uh, well, is Kevin that, that, going to end up being that guy? No. So I, I, I get it from that standpoint. Honestly, that grooming better hurry up a little bit more. But I don't like what I've seen from Dom Davis. The, no disrespect to Dom Davis, but I cringe every time he's in the football game. I mean, give the guy a bit more of a chance, Mike. He hasn't been given too many opportunities out on the field. Uh, this year was really kind of the first year he got some strong opportunity. Um which was that game against the Calgary Stampeders, I believe, in the final game of the season. Yeah. Or was, or was that down? Le- no, Lefevre started the game, but Davis came in, if I'm correct. Yeah. No, Dan started that game. Yeah, and then uh, and then Davis replaced him at some point, as far as I'm right, Because Davis played the game before when Nichols got hurt. Right. And people were piling on him because he couldn't... Myself included, because you couldn't move the ball after Nettles left the game early against BC. Right. So, yeah, I I just like, the Bombers seem to have this fixation. I have no problem if you think that Dom Davis is the guy. It just makes me really upset as a fan that I see these other teams have these 1A, 1B options yeah, the starter gets hurt or he had a bad game. You know, they come off the bench and these quarterbacks come off the bench and they don't miss a beat. The The Blue Bombers' offensive truck seems to be parked whenever they have a backup in, historically speaking. The offense doesn't seem to do much of anything, and it's very, very disheartening to watch. So Mike would like to see back. Kevin Glenn back in a Bombers uniform for round three well, in 2018. And, and I think it's fair. I think it's fair what you're saying there, certainly, just to wrap things up on that. Like, if Matt Nichols gets hurt in week two next year of a 21-week season and is out for the season, are you comfortable that Dom Davis is your long-term answer right now? Probably not, but I think you can say that about a lot of teams in the CFL. Yeah, but a lot of teams have viable options, and I know this is a discussion for another day, but it pertains to my argument, but I believe Kevin Glenn should be the number one sought-after quarterback for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Fair enough, fair enough. And if you want to keep Dom Davis as, a, as an option, by all means, you know, I'd love to see four quarterbacks with right. the Blue Bombers. Even if you have to keep a Lefebvre or a Dom Davis on the practice roster because you have a veteran backup in Glenn. The, the, my, my argument is, and I, I think you get where I'm coming from, 
the, the two options that the Bombers presently have don't give me much confidence as far as long-term options behind Matt Nichols. That's all I'm saying. Well, 45 minutes later, Mike, that is all of the news from the past week in the CFL. I swear we could just make a show each week about talking about that. But we have, you know, the second half of the show here to go still. Talking about the Hamilton Tiger Cats, their uh, their off-season outlook here. And we start off with uh, taking a bit of a look back to 2017. Uh, as really a tale of two seasons. They start out 0-8. They go on to finish 6-12, and their final record. What went well for the Ticats in 2017? What went well? Basically, Labor Day onward. Yeah, what, what caused that to go well, though? Uh, what, what caused it to go well? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kent Austin realizing that he needed to make a move for the betterment of the franchise. He stuck his ego. Um, he stuck his ego out the window and said, you know what, I need to do what's the best for not me, but for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And he brought June Jones in. Yeah, and I think that was really kind of the start of it all. And it, it kind of all continued to go from there, like you mentioned. Uh, they started to get pieces together. I think their, you know, the big issue was their offense really wasn't getting anything going in that first half of the season when they started 0-8. And, and, and I think we credit a little bit maybe of improved, you know, we put this all on Mazzoli, we put it on Banks. Queen. maybe credit a bit of improved play from the offensive line as well? Because you remember the start of the season, what was the big issue for Zach Loros? Well, he was on the turf three quarters of the time. Right. Whereas, and, and maybe that speaks more so, I think some of that speaks to the improved play of the offensive line. Some of it speaks to the different system they put in place. And some of it also just, uh, you know, the mobility of Jeremiah Mazzoli as a quarterback. He's a guy that likes to run. Uh, and I think that adds an interesting dynamic to an offense. It's no offense to Zach Talaros. He's a pocket quarterback. He's a lot like what we had in Drew Willie. The CFL more and more is becoming a lead where the quarterback needs to get rid of the ball ASAP to have any kind of success. And and I don't think it's an accident, but once we saw June Jones institute a system which was basically snap the ball two seconds later, you know, two to three seconds, get the ball out, to the next possible and most viable option that the offense started having success. Yeah, and I think also if you want to talk about things that went well in that second half of the season, the defense started to shore things up a little more as well. Yep. I mean, it was really like we can say, you know, tale of two seasons. Everything seemed to go wrong in those first eight weeks. Look, nothing more than, the, you know, that 60-1 to one, was it lost to Calgary? back early in the season and then they play Calgary down the stretch and it goes down to the very very final moments in that game you know that kind of shows the the tale of two seasons for the Ticats and I think in the second half of the season you can just talk a lot about how as an overall standpoint on all three sides of the ball an increased level of play and I think all it took for the Ticats was just to get that one win underneath them you know yeah and you know, I, I think for me, it's if you have a coach that believes in you, 
but utilizes the pieces that you have on your roster effectively. A lot of it is coaching, Ryan. And I don't know the first thing about football coaching, to be honest with you. But if you use your talent that you have on the roster and build a system around the talent that you have on your team, you are going to be far more successful than than not. Yeah, that's generally the case. Because what happened in the first half of the year? Brandon Banks was non-existent. People were saying, oh, what's wrong with Brandon Banks? I don't know if he's going to be retained. All of a sudden, new coaching staff, clean slate for everybody. Brandon Banks being used in a way that Brandon Banks should have been used. And it leads to success. Yeah, and and they clearly did have that in the second half of the season. If you want to talk about things that don't go so well, I mean, just go back and look at the first eight games of the season. Um, Pretty much everything in those games didn't go well for the Ticats. They did have a couple close games to the Eskimos in that span, uh, which, if you remember, the Eskimos starting 7-0 to start the season. But for the most part, I mean, just a disastrous start to the season for the Ticats. Then they go into the bye week. You think finally they get a week off from it. But uh, if you remember, that was the craziest bye week in the history of CFL bye weeks. Um, You know, with all the discussion going on with the Art Bryles um, signing and then it being blocked by the the league and everything to do with that. Um, And basically everything that went on in Hamilton that week, there was a lot more. You know, it's interesting because... We came out of that. You're down eight and zero oh and eight to start the season. You have your your bye week is supposed to be the week to get focused, which is really hard to do when you're in the news every single day, five times a day. And then they come out of that, and then all of a sudden things seem to be unified, and the Ticats start winning game. And that's just interesting to me, you know, that this may, maybe you know all of the attention they were getting during that week kind of took pressure off the players because the pressure was on other areas of the football team. I don't know. I, I don't know what caused the change in there, uh, but all of a sudden the Ticats come out of that bye week and they start playing some football. Yeah. You know, you want to you wanna talk about, you know, a dynamic of two, a dynamic of two different seasons. Uh, goodness. I mean... Who had it in June? But Montreal and Hamilton would be heading in polar opposite directions come the second half of the season. I think the writing was on the wall for the the Alouettes, and uh, I did correctly predict at some point that they wouldn't win another game this year, which they didn't, or last year, which they didn't. But uh, I didn't see that much of a turnaround from the Ticats because... I think I might have been in the category that early on in the season, possibly at about 0-6, uh, right after that loss to Calgary, that said the Ticats wouldn't win another game in tw- or wouldn't win a game, or if they would, they would ju- win just one in 2017. And props to them for turning things around the second half of the season. It's interesting also, because I think at 0-6, the Ticats really had no pressure because there were no expectations for them. Right. You know, but did you remember, people were writing them off, and us included. Oh, for sure. And then they said, hey, you know what, we have, everybody's writing us off anyway. We may as well try to do something, right? 
So if we were to look at things in hindsight is 2020, that's the saying that all goes around. Um, it's very clear that, you know, Jones taking over as coach was kind of, that was the beginning of the turning point on the season for them. Uh, they, they go and miss the playoffs, not really by too much. They were actually very well in the playoff race at the end of the season. Was it just too little too late for the Ticats? If Kent Austin steps down a couple weeks earlier, are we looking at the Ticats in the playoffs? I don't know, because the couple weeks earlier, June Jones wasn't even with the Tiger Cats. Right. So, hindsight 2020, I've been... You know, Ken Austin is looking at a situation of he fought for the longest time, but he was the right option and the only viable option. And maybe he reached out to June Jones as a desperation. And, and, and here's one thing I, I've, I've wondered about a lot this season. How different words at the start of the season be or how different would the season be for the Ticats? if they had Terrence Tolliver in the lineup all year long. Because if you remember, he gets injured in the very first game of the season, was such a big piece for that offense a year before, was one of Caleros' favorite targets. I have to wonder, if Tolliver, such a dynamic player, can stay in the lineup, do the Ticats, you know, offensively get things going a little more, and maybe squeeze out those close wins over, or close ones they lost to Edmonton early on, and maybe in general, does that rally the team a little more? Yeah, and I, I've been looking at a completely different situation if it goes even further back and Zat Talaros doesn't get hurt in his MVP-type season. Yeah, I mean, we could go back years upon years and and kind of look into, you know, five years ago. Um, I know that wasn't five years ago. I'm over-exaggerating a little, but, you know, what happened five years ago? How did that impact the team today? At the end of the day, like we said over and over, a tale of two seasons for the Ticats started out terrible. But possibly out of any team in the CFL, come the end of the 2017 season, the most yeah. excitement and hope I had for a team to take the next step in 2018 might have been the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yes, but also with that comes increased expectations. Oh, for sure. But, you know, in today's world, you're, the expectations are increased every single year. Just ask the Edmonton Oilers about increased expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's not going so well for them, is it? No. <laughs> no, they did not look good this weekend. Uh, oh, boy. They tease you. They're a team that teases you, but at the end of the day, it lets you down. Right. Um, but I, I, I think there's so much potential based on how the season quickly turned around for them in that second half. And I like the pieces I saw in place. And I think they're going to do some things this off season to go and cement that now. Uh, yep. And giving Jones a full year as head coach, giving Mazzoli a full year as, you know, the starting quarterback. Um, and bringing in his own players to fit his system. Right. I, I'm very interested to see how this team comes out in 2018. And I think uh, if you want to talk about hype, the Ticats might be uh, my pick for the team, CFL team that I'm most hyped about coming into 2018. And I wish they could have squeezed into the playoffs at the end of the season last year because they were one of the most exciting teams in the CFL for me to watch down the stretch. And I, and I think if they would have gotten in, they would have reached some unbelievable havoc. I, I think if they made it in, they could have gone to the Grey Cup. Yep. It's crazy. 
you know, you you pick up a couple of those close wins earlier in the season. You pick up, uh, if you remember that wild game that I believe they lost to the Toronto Argonauts in the second half of the season, uh, that one they lost to Calgary as well. You know, their losses in the second half of the year were, for the most part, pretty close games that came down to the wire. Imagine how different things could be if the Ticats were able to pick up a couple extra wins and make it into the playoffs. Would have, could have, should have. Eh? A win and loss in the Canadian Football League, the margin is so thin. And just look at a team with confidence, how they played compared to a team that, you know, is not doing so well. Right. Um, so getting into then talking about, uh, you know, we're going to get into this offseason, who they all have as free agents, what they should do this offseason. But going back as we do to last season, um, who was kind of the biggest either addition or had the biggest coming out party for the Ticats in 2017 for you? Was it uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli? Was it Brandon Banks? Or was there someone else that caught your eye? Um, I think something that kind of caught my eye and kind of did the team a little bit of a wake-up call was the trade of John Chet and C.J. Gable. Mm. That, to me, was very, very interesting, especially the trade of C.J. Gable. You know, getting some assets. I think they got two Nagelist players for C.J. Gable to kind of wake up the room in a way to say that the losing is unacceptable. And that kind of maybe was the first kind of warning shot before the whole June Jones. I, to me, did not see sitting here a year ago looking at the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And if you would have told me that Zach Kalaros would no longer be a member of the Tiger Cats, I would have called you crazy. Right. Just given the fact that he was working two years ago on an MOP season before he got hurt. It just goes to show how quick things can change and how quick and how interesting it is that when new coaching staff comes in, how the entire direction of the team can change. Absolutely. Zach Kalaros uh, was a 10 Austin guy. It was very clear that Jeremiah Mazzoli was a June Jones guy. Yeah, and you want to talk about other pieces that kind of, you know, came onto the scene in 2018, 20, 2017, sorry, for the Ticats. Uh, at the wide receiver position, we mentioned the fact that Terrence Tolliver was out for the whole season. Guy who really stepped up while he was gone, Jalen Saunders had over a thousand yards receiving, was a was a dynamic return guy in his time back there as well. I thought he was an excellent addition to that offense. Yep. And also, how about Alex Green, the running back? That basically he came in, and the Ticats for years upon years and this was with Kent Austin as head coach, have never been a team that liked to run the ball, right? Yep. C.J. Gable, absolutely great running back, but never really used by the Ticats to the amount they should have used him. They started to use him right before they traded him, 
And then they started to use Alex Green in the second half of the season, uh, or in the late stages of the season. And this was a guy that I'm very excited to see in 2018 what he can do because of, uh, you know, he had such a tremendous impact on the team in those late weeks for the Ticats. He made, and I'm talking about Green now, he made C.J. Dable expendable. It goes back to what I'm saying about most players in the CFL, running backs, receivers, etc., DBs, being a dime a dozen. And a lot in the lines of my thing about how quick things change. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's some other guys, uh, if you want to look at the defensive side of the ball, uh, for the Thai Cats as well, you know Richard Leonard, I believe, if I'm correct, was their uh, off or was their Rookie of the Year nominee. Um, yeah, so Richard Leonard had a great year for the Thai Cats. Also, Larry Dean, uh, their linebacker, uh, was he their Defensive Player of the Year nominee? Mike, put me. Larry Dean, he was Defensive Player nominee for yeah, the Cats, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that name. That so, sounds familiar. So some key pieces for the Ticats this year. Um, I'm very interested to see what all of these guys are going to do together this next year. And I'm, in, I'm interested, like I said, everything I've said so far, a full year under them, uh, under this team together with the new coaching staff in place, uh, with the new look of the offense. I'm excited to see that. Absolutely. Getting into the uh, players that were maybe uh, disappointments for uh, 2017, uh, we've talked a lot about Coleros. I don't think we need to drill more into that. Um, Terrence Tolliver certainly not being able to see him out on the field this year because he's such a great player. Was there anywhere else for you that was a disappointment uh, that you didn't really see as much as you expected to in 2017? Tolliver, just from the fact that he couldn't stay healthy. Right. Was there anybody else out there for you, or was it kind of... John Chet for me. I mean, I thought he deserved... And this goes back into his time with Edmonton, too. He didn't win a game for the longest time. Right. You know, because he left Hamilton when they were on the losing streak, and then, oddly enough, joined Edmonton when they were on their losing streak. Um, so, you know, he, John Chet got the rare end, the bad end of the deal as far as I'm concerned, but I think a player like John Chet, a player like CJ Dable now at Edmonton has set them themselves up and their new team up for some success this year. Yeah, certainly. I would agree with you on that. John Chick was the other one that I had in mind as well. Um, and hopefully we see, you know, I think we saw a bit of a bounce back for him when he was with the Eskimos, uh, late in that season. Uh, great guy. Hope we, uh, hope we see, uh, some continued great play from him next year. For sure. Uh, looking at the free agent list for the Ticats, uh, so Banks, uh, Jonathan Langa, and Mazzoli all signed this week. Uh, they have several other free agents, uh. Looking mostly here, probably the largest amount on defense, Mike, and we've got some big names here on the defense that are free agents for the Ticats. Uh, defensive lineman Michael Atkinson, uh, Justin Capicotti, uh, Evan Gill, Ted Laurent, probably the biggest of them uh, along the defensive line. 
at the linebacker position, you've got Mitchell Barnett, uh, Larry Dean, who we talked about, uh, Nicholas Shorthill, um, and then at defensive back, Dominique Ellis was a big piece of that team, a uh, big piece of that defense, and former bomber DeMond Washington round out the defensive free agents for the Ticats. Who sticks out here for you as a must-bring back? Ted Laurent. For sure. And do, you know, last year he was, it was last year, right, where he was really the big fish in free agency. Yep. Um, do you see that being a case again this year where there's going to be a lot of people trying to throw cash at him? Or is he still, like, is Laurent still the big fish like he was last year? Or has he For taken me, a bit of a step back and now we're looking, okay, he's most likely coming back to Hamilton? I, I think the big fish, if you ask me, is Dean. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of teams, bombers included, that could be in on in on his services. Fair enough. Interesting. Um, to see where that goes. Uh, Dominique Ellis, I will throw in there, is another one. Uh, and Justin, Justin Capicotti also for me, because if you remember back to his time with the Ottawa Red Blacks, he was re- such a dominant guy for them. He had a yeah. decent season this year, but in between, you remember his time with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, didn't go as well as they expected to there. So I'm interested to see where he lands, if the Ticats bring him back this year, uh, and what we see from him next year. It, it goes to show, and this is what I was talking about with those one-year deals early on, guys set themselves up for massive paydays, Capitati being one of them. You know, they almost priced themselves out of their current team and seek free agency, which is their right to do so, obviously, because they've earned it. I can't think of too many free agents that have signed in the last couple of years that have continued to have success with their new team. Andrew Harris comes to mind with the Blue Bombers, but there seems to be more and more, and I'm saying one or two or three of these signings a year of guys that get big money in free agency only to be a huge disappointment to their new team. And that's generally how it goes, isn't it? It's like that in any sport. Just yep. ask general managers in hockey. Right. They are notorious for throwing out money on July 1st. And there are teams now that are handcuffed by decisions that they made five years ago. Oh, for sure. And this goes back to the conversation we had about those short contracts in the CFL back on in the first part of the show. Yeah, and I, I think it really fits hand-in-hand like a glove here. Uh, Looking at the offensive side of the ball, um, really nice thing to see here for the Ticats because we mentioned we liked the direction their offense was heading in the second half of the season. They don't really have that many free agents on that side of the ball. Um, Most notable ones, uh, wide receiver Luke Tasker, who, like I was saying before, I don't really see any way that Tasker goes anywhere else. You know, Hamilton loves him. He loves Hamilton, it appears. Uh, I would be shocked to see him go elsewhere. Yeah, same here. Uh, offensive lineman Tony Washington is a free agent. Uh, fullback uh, Carl Olivier Prime, CO Prime. I'm uh, just taking another look here uh, as well. Uh, quarterback Everett Golson, who... Could be brought back as the third string, perhaps, with uh, Mazzoli and what's likely to be Johnny Manziel now if he accepts his contract. 
Um, and then uh, wide receiver Jasper Collins rounds out the uh, wide receiver group. So not really many changes, it looks like, yet that we can see coming from this offense. And I think I like that. Yeah, and uh, I think for me, I want to see exactly what Jeremiah Mazzoli can do. I think they need a backup in Hamilton, but isn't named Johnny Manziel if he signs, of course. Yeah. Um, I think they need a backup, but isn't Johnny Manziel at least a start in case uh, in case uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli hits a wall. And to me, I think one of the wild cards in this quarterback carousel, assuming he gets healthy and it sounds like he wants to play football again, and that's Travis Lule. Hmm. I think he's going to be a real sought-after quarterback. You don't think he leaves BC? Or you think he leaves BC? I don't see it. No, I I, I think, you know, if you're Travis Lule, you've owed it to yourself. And I understand you're coming off an injury. You might not be ready for the start of the season. But there's a new regime in BC that is kind of new for everybody. And it's a, you know, show me what you got. And now with Wally being the coach and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying Travis Lilly is leaving BC. I think he just owes owes it to himself. To see what's out there. Right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, But if you ask me about my hunch, I do believe that he winds up in BC. Maybe Winnipeg is an option too, depending on what happens with Kevin Glenn. Yeah, and and I don't think, like, I don't think the Ticats have to go and do much on offense this offseason because, you know, sometimes you say perhaps the biggest offseason addition is one of your own guys coming back from injury. They're getting a big-name guy next year in Terrence Tolliver that's going to add just another piece to that offense. I mean, you're you're looking at, Mike, a a top-four wide receivers here for 2018, uh, assuming these guys come back, you know, assuming Tasker re-signs, assuming Tolliver is healthy. Of Brandon Banks, Terrence Tolliver, Luke Tasker, and Jalen Saunders. I'll leave you with a line. Sometimes the best moves moves made in an off season are the ones not made. Exactly. Um, if you were to kind of, what's the focus for the Tie Cats this off season? What do they need to do to prepare for 2018? Whew. They need to just. Build on what happened in the last half of the season. Is there is there any position in particular that you see where they need to go out and improve? It sounds like they're going to have some holes on defense that are rather large. And, and if they can find a way to fix those, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, defense, I think maybe, you know, shore up that offensive line a little bit more. Uh maybe bring in another piece like that, although it did pretty good in the second half of the season. I agree with you, kind of fill those holes on defense. Uh, And perhaps maybe also, maybe kind of just in the same bucket we put the Riders last week when we talked about them. Maybe, you know, the key to the offseason for the Ticats isn't to go out and make a bunch of changes. It's just to let this team grow another year. Yep, 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 I agree. 
because I, I, I think we saw some good things at the end of the year, and I think that they'll continue to progress if you give them time to work out together. And I, I also believe that, you know, there's nothing wrong with Hamilton's one of those teams that they don't need to go out and break the bank to make free agency a success. They can mop up a couple of holes that they have, build through the draft, and get maybe some of their missing pieces in the Canadian draft this year. Well, well, and, and, and I'll add to what you're saying right there. Uh, don't forget, the Ticats have a real good opportunity to build through the draft this year because they now have four of the first 15 picks in the draft this year. Yeah. So what, what, what I'm, what I'm going to counter that with is they might, their best option might be to focus more so on the draft than to focus on free agency, as silly as that sounds. I, I, I think it's fair. I think, you know, you tinker with your roster a little in free agency. You bring in some, you know, key pieces for the future through the draft. Um, and then you build off of what you, you, you built last at the end of last year. Do you see a case at all with having four picks in the first four of the first 15 picks or something like that in the draft? Do you see a case where the Ticats flip any of these to try to bring in a major piece? It's an option, but draft picks are more precious now than ever before. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, anything and do you want anything you want to add about Hamilton uh, before we wrap things up, Mike? Um, not nothing much that I've already talked about, but I'm fully expecting a playoff game at the Donut Box this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I I'm just, the same way. I just haven't decided if it's the East Final or the Eastern Semifinal. Fair enough, and we'll get more into predictions closer to when the season starts because I think there's a lot that uh, a lot of pieces that need to fall into place around the league before we can accurately make those. And even then, let's be honest, our predictions will be nowhere near accurate anyways. Just let it last year. <laughs> um, just a quick check to see if there was any CFL news we missed uh, while we've been recording here, Mike. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders, who didn't do anything, uh, make any moves this past week, uh, have re-signed three guys today. Wide receiver Reggie Bagleton, national offensive lineman Dylan Guy, and international defensive lineman Mike Rose all brought back for next year for the Calgary Stampeders. Yeah, continuity in Calgary. I love I love it for them. I, I like it as well. I I don't think they I I I'm still under the position that you don't rock the boat too much, despite the Grey Cup woes. You make a yep. couple changes, but I mean the regular season success. This team clearly knows how to win football games, just perhaps not when it matters the most. Yeah, and I I would expect Badelton to have a real big year. I, I'm interested to see what he can do as well. In the time he got this year, I thought he was an interesting player to watch. And I'm excited to see what he can do. One thing I, what I wanted to mention, now that you mentioned the Calgary Stampeders, Martin Michel's brother is playing for Georgia, is playing for Georgia tonight in the two-headed monster uh, as far as the running bats that Georgia has, uh, they're playing at home in the national title against SEC rival Alabama, who's going for a dynasty in college football. Best of luck to him and best of luck to them. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, college football bowl season, as boring as it might sound with the Idaho Potato Bowl and all these bowls that seem, you know, rather meaningless, there are CFL nightless players that play in these bowl games. Yeah. So, so, so that is interesting in itself to watch. Question for you. Yep. How many times this year... Do we? Do you think we're going to hear Rod Black mention the grandson of Steve Tasker? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, under at about twenty. Uh, once again, congratulations, Luke Tasker and his wife on the birth of their baby boy. As I'm just scrolling through Twitter and saw mention of Steve Tasker's grandson, I thought that was a little funny. If I could talk about. Uh... I had to talk about uh, Steve Tasker just for one minute. Sure. He did a fantastic job on the football broadcast in the NFL on the radio this weekend. All right. So he's the NFL announcer with uh, CBS, and they have him on radio during the playoffs. Good to hear. Good to hear. NFL playoffs still underway. Um, off to the next round this coming weekend. Uh Follow yeah. up on what you talked about last weekend. Your Falcons uh, won this week. I'm cr- I'm correct in that. Yeah, they won. Uh, they had a nice defensive performance against the playoff inexperienced LA Rams team, uh, a team that I thought had to get into the playoffs to figure out how to play playoff football, uh, and then the Falcons were able to use their Super Bowl experience to go into the Coliseum and win. Other winners included Tennessee in one of the most unbelievable NFL playoff finishes ever, uh, falling behind at halftime. I'm just watching the game actually on the PVR. It was 21-3 to for Tennessee in firm control for Kansas City at home. 21-3 to they were up. I may have said uh, Tennessee was up, but uh, Kansas City was up 21-3 to at halftime. And they wound up losing 22-21. And the play of the game that everybody's talking about, Tennessee Titans quarterback Marcus Mariota completed a touchdown pass to himself. Yeah, I I saw that highlight this morning. (laughs) Very odd play. Um, One one that's going to be on the highlight reels for time to come. (laughs) Just great. Other winners... Uh, really quickly, Saturday night were, were the Falcons and the Titans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and of course, uh, David Amimata, the former uh, University of Manitoba Bison, and the New Orleans Saints beating Cam Newton and the Panthers. Uh, matchups this weekend include uh, Atlanta going to Philadelphia on Saturday afternoon, the tennis or the Jacksonville Jaguars going into Foxborough to play the Patriots. It is the Sunday afternoon. It'll be the Steelers taking on the Titans. And then Sunday, I think everybody... Uh, It's not the Steelers taking on... uh, The Steelers are taking on Jacksonville, and uh, it's New England playing the Titans, isn't it? Really? Okay, I'm going to look this up on my my phone. I might have it wrong now. but I do know the Vikings are hosting the uh, the Saints. The Saints. Yeah. According I'm to the just, score, those are the matchups. 
Atlanta, Philadelphia, Tennessee, New England, you were right. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, and uh, New Orleans, Minnesota. Best of luck to all of these teams in their games this weekend. Um, Mike, that is, uh, that is pretty much it for our show here this week. We'll be back talking more CFL again next week. We are getting, uh, just over a month away from free agency, which is bound to be interesting, uh, from all the things we've talked about, all the different pieces that are going to fall. Yeah. And one thing I will mention just in the CFL as a whole, I'm surprised how quick the quarterback dominoes have fallen. Right. And, and it seems to relatively be put in place now. That does it for today's show. We will talk to you again next week. Uh, for Michael Garrell, uh, I'm Ryan Coop. Any final words, Mike? No, just enjoy the week in the NFL. Enjoy the last uh, CFL news that keeps coming out every week, which I very much enjoy. Seemingly every day, some CFL news. And enjoy the Jets uh, this week before they go on their bye. For sure. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.